Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about drafting. We're talking about dice drafting, what it looks like to roll some dice, look at them, think about it, and then go, hmm, I want that one. And we're talking to Al LeDuc. Al, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Gabe. Yeah, man, excited to have you here. You're you're a guy that really understands this mechanism. You've got two games published that uh, have this core dice drafting engine, and I'm sure you've worked on quite a few more uh, that maybe didn't turn into you know games yet, or you just had to go. You know what? This isn't any good. And I'll, I'll do something else. So I'm really excited to uh, just get your your understanding, your feedback, your ideas on why dice drafting is a really interesting, really cool mechanism. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. I'm uh, I'm Al Duke, as you said, and I got into game design from basically learning about that these games existed that could be designed by just independent people. And I thought, oh, that sounds like something I'd like to do. And then I learned more about the hobby board game industry and started playing the games. So it's kind of like a, a backwards way into it. You know, I played lots of games as a kid and then got into miniatures games. And then through miniatures games, listening to podcasts and podcasts, talking about hobby games and how it was just little companies that were doing it. So uh, that was my introduction. Kind of strange. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, so, yeah, most people start playing games and then think, hmm, I could design one of those. But you're saying you thought, hmm, I could design one of those and then started playing them? Yeah, that was pretty much it. I started, <laughs> I, I had gone to... Uh, at university, I studied industrial design initially, and one of my, we had to make a little portfolio to sort of get into the school. And while most students did art projects, I it hadn't occurred to me, and I didn't, wasn't an artist. So, you know, I did various sort of designs and things, and one of them was a role-playing game that I had been working on anyways. So, you know, I was already had kind of started doing game design stuff, and then I'd hoped to do, turn you know, try and do a bit more of that while I was there, but that ended up not working out. It wasn't quite the right school for me, but uh, yeah, so it was strange. Gotcha. Well, that's super interesting. All right, well, let's jump into dice drafting. First of all, let's get a good little working definition. What does that even mean to, to draft dice? Well, I think uh, like if you look at drafting in general, it's more or less the taking of things so that you've got them and that no one else can have them. Now, uh, there's a lot more games that are doing dice, uh, doing drafting with cards. You know, you could do a Seven Wonder style where you've got a hand of cards and then you take one and then you pass those cards on. And you have that card. They cannot have that card. You could have the drafting so that it's laid out on the table like the networks. And then again, when you take a card, it's not available to anyone else. And when you're doing it with dice drafting, you're generally going to have the dice out on the table. And again, when you take it, nobody else can take it. I mean, there's a big difference between the complexity of a die and a card, and they, they have different pros and cons. 
Gotcha. And there are so many dice drafting games at this point. I mean, I was doing a little research for this episode and the list was just massive. Uh, and older games, you know, it's not even a new idea. You know, a lot of games from back in the day had this mechanism. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people are drawn to these kinds of games and enjoy playing them? I think there's a, a lot of advantages. I mean, the feel of the die itself it is certainly, you know, a, a nice characteristic of, of, of the dice. And the setup is great because you just take them out. Typically, you're going to roll them and put them down. You don't have to worry about them. You know, you're not shuffling decks of cards. The, the dice themselves are quite quite simple. And a lot of the, the properties of the die itself can be used in the game. Like in Blueprints, you draft the die, and then you're going to make a little building with the die. So you stack the dice up on top of each other until you get the shape of the building that's on your Blueprint card. And you wouldn't be able to do that with cards. So that's like a really cool use of the dice and sagrada with the translucent dice works out really nice you know because you you're putting them onto your player board and getting the colors to line up as per what your player board is requesting you have some restrictions with regards to the numbers on the dice not having two numbers the same next next to each other but you can use the the clearness in the pictures and it it just looks really attractive and it would be super hard to do that with some other kind of component yeah that's a really good point you can bring the dice just the physical nature of the dice and and make that into a game mechanism like you said whether you're stacking them or putting them in certain order or sequences that actually kind of creates more theme for the game what are some other pros and cons uh let's, let's as far as using well, just dice, talking about the theme yeah. As you said, another way to really make the theme awesome is, is with role player. Because, you know, when you're rolling up a, a D&D character using your 3D6 dice to, to make that. So the dice in that case is just a thematically perfect as dice drafting. Because you draft the die and put it into that character slot for your strength. You know, you put your first six in there. You know, and then you've got your seven. Or, well, not a seven. <laughs> you know, you might have a four. But you're trying to get a high strength or you want to get a low thing. And it's just... It's just such a perfect match for that particular game. Yeah, definitely. I, and that's a really good point uh, of taking a, an idea, a theme, and then really marrying it to the dice drafting uh, mechanism perfectly. And it, it's it's awesome when that comes together. It, it's hard to do, for sure. And, and sometimes, you know, you kind of hit your head against the wall trying to figure it out. But when it, when it comes together like it did in, in a role player, it is just a really amazing thing. What are some of the other things about, you know, uh, dice versus cards. You know, what are some of the other reasons why dice might be a better use for a certain game or even a certain theme than cards would? I still think the, uh, I think the setup time is is one of the biggest advantages, which is great. But another thing to consider is the way the randomness works. You know, because when you've got a deck of cards, it's it's all laid out. Each card is represented in that deck one time. And if you have multiple copies of it, it's still just that one specific copy. But when you're dealing with dice, you know, the entire collection of dice could be a six. Like you could just roll them. They're all going to be sixes. They could all be ones. It could end up being, you know, a repeated sequence of one to six or just a completely different kind of chaos. So every time you play the game, you've just got that much more variability that's going on. And you've also got the, the advantage of being able to manipulate the dice, which you couldn't easily do with cards. 
you know, so uh, that happens in, in role player. There are certain times that you can take a die and I think maybe if it's like your intelligence, you can re-roll it. Or there's other ones that allow you to flip it to like, oh, I'm drafting a one, but I have a way to manipulate it and turn it into a six or to re-roll it, you know, to make it something else. And, you know, another property of dice is that you can give them all a color. So not only do they have their number, they can have a color and you can manipulate and use that in a different kind of way. Right. That's a really, really good point. You can kind of manage the randomness maybe more effectively with dice than you can with cards because, you know, you only have so many sides. If you're using a D6, you have six sides. And so you can kind of manage how, how the, the icons come out. You can also change the probability a little bit easier. You know, you can have maybe uh, two sides of, of, uh, of a die have a certain icon to kind of increase the odds of it being rolled or, you know, even three or four. You can do a lot of different right. things. Uh, or a game, I think, like uh, Dinosaur Island, where some dice have different icons entirely from other dice. And so you can make things more common, more rare, doing it that way. Obviously, the, the publishing cost, the manufacturing cost is going to go up a little bit. But at the same time, you're able to really control the play experience, maybe in a way that you can't with cards quite as easily. Is that is that Am I on track with that? Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. And uh, Dinosaur Island is, is an excellent example of, of really sort of being able to mess with that variability of what comes up that you can you know uh, draft you know and the idea even like a like in seasons as well where you could have two different things could be on the die that you're drafting and not just one so the so the simplicity of the die can start very low you could just have them with one twos and threes and all dice of the same color or you can really ramp up the complexity of what you're getting when drafting a die you know like in the uh, in the dinosaur island yeah, Seasons is such a great example because, like you said, you have potentially multiple icons on a single side of a die. So it's not even just, hey, here's the the face that's up, and so that's the one thing I have access to. It's like, no, there are multiple icons on some of those dice uh, on, on one side. And so now it, it really creates uh, opportunities for more complexity. I feel like sometimes it's easy to think, oh, they're dice, they're six sides, that's it. But like, no, no, there's so many more things you can do with different icons, different ratios, different colors. Tell me about that a little bit. Uh, as far as using different colors, I know your game, Yukon Airways, uses different colors to mean different things. So let's let's dive into that just a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, the colors is, is, is kind of a handy thing to be able to add on to not just the, the numbers. But yeah, in Yukon Airways, I use the colors to represent different types of passengers. And on this is a not quite a pickup and delivery, it's more of a delivery game. So at the first part of the of your turn, you're going to get your passengers and then you're going to fly them to a destination on the map. And on the map, a uh, destination will have a couple of cubes on it of a particular color. And so if you can get the die to the cube of that matching color, then, you know, that's a win. You get to upgrade your plane. So you need to, you're really being mindful of, of not the number on the die. You're drafting the dice for the color. Yeah, that's a super, you know, kind of interesting no other thing to to wrap your head around. Uh, and I know other other games use the the color and Sagrada, you know, other things to kind of make right. the play experience a little bit more interesting, a little bit more crunchy, I guess is a good way. You have to think about more things uh, and it just creates interesting uh, decisions. Now, as far yeah. as more dice mitigation, what are some other good examples uh, of ways you've seen games kind of manage the, the dice as far as you know in some games a six is just better than a one 
right? And so you, that, and that's that's fine. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But what are some ways you've seen games handle it so, so that the dice, no matter what you roll, that you still have options, you still have cool things that you can do? Yeah. Well, I just want to go back to something that you had mentioned earlier about how uh, the dice are easy to manipulate. When you're dealing with dice with the with the values of the one to six, if you get to you know get a plus to improve one of your dice, you can just turn it from a three to a four, or a four to a five, or you can subtract one. So that takes away a lot of the fiddliness uh, that you might otherwise do with cards, where you'd have to put like token things on. So that's just another nice perk of the dice. But with regards to the the mitigation. Yeah, the, the, the being able to flip a die is great. Plus or minuses on die is great. Rerolling a die is another one that's that's fairly common. Yeah, and then also like Pulsar 2849. It has a really interesting mechanism as well. Go into that one just for a second. Yeah, Pulsar is, is a great one at uh, at managing the fairness of what dice get, get rolled. And the way it works is it's got this, uh, it's sort of this, this these tracks. And you're going to put value, low value dice over on the left side and higher volume dice over on the right side and middle dice in between. And then you're going to look at sort of the, the median dice die value and there's a little marker there. So if you take dice that are of lower value than sort of the medium, then you that's good for you. There's a different part of the game where it rewards you for doing that. And then it punishes you a bit for taking dice that are higher value. And each turn, different randomness of the dice coming out is going to sh- can shift what what makes a die low and what makes a die high compared to, to the others. So it's a real kind of a good, you know, if you just take the good dice all the time, you get sort of punished in other ways. And I, I have a feeling that turn order is one of the things that, that slows you down that way. Yeah, you can always have kind of a similar thing in that in the dock where you're taking your dice from your passengers from the one there each there's six stocks one from six so all the ones that get rolled go to the one spot and you know and all the fives get rolled to go to the five the sixes get rolled go to the six and so if you take dice from the one spot it's going to affect your turn order you're going to be the first to be able to go out and deliver things and then be first pick for dice for which dock to choose when it cut in the next round but if you take a higher value, then you start getting more perks. So in the number two spot, you know you get to ex- you get to draw an extra card, and then later on, you know number five, you you get extra fuel, and the number six spot, you can improve, make an improvement to your plane, which is quite a big deal. But then you're going to go last. Everyone's going to go before you, and they may take the passengers or the dice that you wanted because they're going there first. Definitely, Pulsar creates such an interesting risk reward system where you're trying to figure out, okay, I want to do these things, but I want to, do I need to do them right now? Or can I wait? Uh, you know, I, I want to do all these things, but I'm going to have to take more penalties. And so maybe I don't do that. It, it creates interesting decisions in that way. And a similar uh, game in this, like, you know, sixes aren't necessarily always good. Ones aren't necessarily bad, always bad uh, is monster lands. And that one's interesting because you have mm-hmm. this yellow die that you roll at the beginning of your, of the round or whatever. And so that yellow die is going to give you discounts on things that you're going to buy, right? Different weapons and traps and potions and stuff like that to help you go fight these monsters. And so if you roll, let's say you roll a three, you know, three is fine. Uh, You're going to get a three discount on wherever you put that yellow die. So if I'm going to buy a thing that costs 10 gold, well, I put the three there and now it costs me seven. 
you know, and now you might think, well, okay, then it's always better to roll a six because now I get a six discount. But the way the game mitigates it is, all right, so if you place your six on, on the board and you get that six discount, and then I place my one on the board in the same place right after it, I get to add all the yellow dice there together. So instead of a, a one discount, I get a seven because it's my one plus your six. So I, now I get a seven discount on whatever I want to buy. And so that's one way it, it mitigates it where, you know, low dice aren't necessarily always bad because you can potentially add them to other dice. And so if someone else rolled really well and they place it out there, well, you can just piggyback on what they rolled. And I think that's a really interesting uh, way to handle things as well. Yeah, no, that's uh, that is a pretty clever use. You sort of have to be a little more cagey about the timing of when you're using your dice, I guess, in that game. Right. Now, as far as uh, for going first, you know, I feel like a lot of times these games can devolve into uh, going first has a huge advantage. And so, you mentioned with Pulsar how they handle it. What are some, maybe some other ways you've found that work? Other games you've seen that handle the player order and making sure it's as fair as possible. Well, um, so Grotta is one that comes to mind in that you have a snaking turn order. So what that means is, uh, you know, if I'm the first player, I draft the first die, and then the second player will draft one, the third player, and the fourth. And then the fourth player will be able to draft another die right away. And then back to the third, then the second. And then back to, you know, me as the first player. So I get first pick, but then I'm also getting the dregs get sort of the last pick. So that's one good way to sort of uh, even it out. Uh, Blueprints does it in that there's always, I think it's six dice that are out. When you take a die, another die just gets rolled and put in there. So each person is sort of selecting from the same number of dice, which, you know, sort of balances it out reasonably well, I think. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of another one off the top of my head. Do you have one? Yeah, so Lagranja comes to mind, and this is one of my favorite games. I think this is just one of the best games of all time. It has so many cool things going on, working together. You know, it's got multi-use cards, but the main core engine is this dice drafting system where you roll dice and you've got one uh, through six that uh, are associated with actions, right? And so when you roll all the dice, you place all the, the, the dice that are the same on those actions. So if you roll three ones, then you'll put all three of those on the, the number one action. That gives you, you know, different things you can do. But the way it handles the turn order kind of situation, you know, to go last is is not a good thing because you're, you know, you're not going to get maybe the dice that you want, the actions that you want. But the way it handles it, there is always one extra die. So whatever the player count is, you have this one extra die, you know, to kind of uh, whatever the even is plus one. And then so the last player, they get to they have two dice left that they have to choose from. And so they can choose one. The, the first die they choose is the action that they get. And then the last die they choose which you know, the, the one that's left over, everybody at the table gets that action. And so the last player kind of gets to determine, okay, what works best for me? And what do I want to, you know, what die do I want to leave that everybody else is going to get access to this one action to do, you know, something on their player board. And it's such an, a cool little decision you, that you get as the last player. And I thought that was a really interesting way to handle it. So even if you are last, you get that one extra decision where you're kind of uh, able to, to affect the game in, in a, an interesting way. Yeah, no, that's a really good example of, uh, you know, you sort of, you've got really good things going first, but, but going last is also a really sort of a, a powerful position to feel like you've got like good control over the, the game state and, uh, you know, you're not shedding so many tears when you go last in that case. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, hey, before we go any further, you know, we've been talking a lot about D6s. Why is it always a D6? Like, why don't games use D8s or D10s? I mean, there are lots of different sizes of dice out in the world, but why has D6 kind of become the, the base or the normal for these kinds of games? Well, I'm going to guess that a lot of it probably has to do with the manufacturing costs. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, the D6 is just so much cheaper to make, from what what I've heard anyways. But yeah, I mean, you, you could, I mean, mind you, then again, board games are getting a lot more adventurous with the types of dice that publishers are willing to, to try out. So yeah, you know, that's a good point. I wouldn't be surprised. There's particularly like D12s have kind of that round look to it. You know, there's undoubtedly going to be a game that the thematic what that die is being round it's going to be like a relevant kind of that makes it say oh yeah it had to be round dice or rounder dice to work yeah that's a good point i bet somebody's going to do something in that uh different type of dice before long yeah and even with the d12 i mean just to give it some variance you could it could be a d6 just everything is on there twice. I mean, it's the same thing and, and just have a D12 just to kind of give something new or interesting or different and it still be the exact same probabilities as whatever you were going to do on a D6. But I also wonder, and you know, I'm not a math guy. Uh, I'm very much an English and writing and, right. and that kind of thing. And so math is not my favorite thing in the world. But I'm also curious, and maybe you've got some insight on this with, you know, because I'm sure you've had to work out probabilities and things like that. Would there be too much variance on a D8 versus a D6 or a D10 versus a D6, especially for a game like Sagrada, you know, a game where the numbers do matter, you know, would there just be too big of a gap between a one and a 10? Like that's just too many numbers in between it. Could that also be part of it? Yeah, I think, it, I mean, it, it could be. I mean, uh, to be honest, I think in the Sagrada case, the fact that the D6 is so stable, I mean, it's not going to roll around and they, the edge up really nice against each other. So again, it's the form factor of a cube and, and you know, the same thing in blueprints because you're stacking them. They're, that's one thing, but, but the variance, yeah, it, it, you would definitely have more. Like I would almost think you'd need to have a larger play area for something like Sagrada where getting the numbers sort of, you know, sequential to each other. Or maybe it's that you'd want a smaller one. I'm not really sure about that either, <laughs> to be honest. Right, that's you. something, an interesting design challenge, just to kind of, yeah. you know, see see what happens, right? And now if you're talking about a game that, you know, the numbers relate to the actions, like a Lagranha, and you're using a D8 or a D10, well, now you're going to have to have eight actions and, or 10 actions. And so that changes everything. Uh, and then also you might, you're going to have to think through, okay, what are, what are the odds of, of how many dice being rolled? Like, because you might go a bunch of rounds where a four just never gets rolled. Because the odds of rolling a four are now less than if you're rolling. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And if the the value of the number is really quite critical, then that's going to be much more of a, an issue. And your whatever type of die manipulation you're doing, if you're using a reroll, then that's possibly less valuable on a D12 than on a on a D6. If if you had values from one to twelve versus one to six, you're more likely to get the value that you want. And if you're doing a plus one, it's much smaller increments on the bigger die. I mean, it might be interesting to have a mix of dice, a dice drafted where you have D4s and D6s and D8s and D12s and knowing what you, what your personal ability to manipulate that die is compared to other players might be kind of interesting in that, you know, if you've got access to the flip, flip a die, you might choose different dice knowing how you're going to be able to manipulate it than someone who has a different sort of, you know, a, a different sort of set of, of tools to manipulate dice. That could be quite interesting. 
for sure. And it reminds me of a game. It's not a dice drafting game. Uh, it, was, it was actually a sports game, kind of like a football clone. And it the way it handled the dice was, so certain players are really fast. Some players are really strong. And so the uh, the faster players roll a certain size dice and the strong players roll like other size dice. And it was like a the higher the number, the high number is your strength. The low number, is that right? Can't remember. So no, the low number is your um, your strength. The high number is your speed. And so it kind of managed things. Like you had this little wide receiver guy, and he rolls a d4, and so he's not very uh, very strong necessarily. But yeah, he can he can move faster. He can move down the field quicker, yeah. or something like that. Uh, I feel like I'm butchering this idea. I haven't played this game in like a decade. But anyway, it, it related different abilities to different size dice. And I could see that maybe working with a dice drafting game, where if you did have access to these different characters that they do roll different dice and maybe some characters are really good at certain actions because they have a higher probability of getting certain numbers or icons or something like that. And some are, are better at other things. Some are kind of in the middle. They're good at lots of different things. I could see that working as a really interesting uh, game mechanism. I'd love to see that. I'd love some see somebody you know who's listening to this create a game that does that. Uh, I've worked on a couple and I haven't been able to get it right. And so I would love oh, to see yeah. somebody figure out a dice drafting mechanism where you do have these different characters, different abilities, and then cor- corresponding to different size dice because I, I just think that could be a, a cool game to play yeah i think there's there's lots of design space left sort of within you know the 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 dice drafting bucket if you will you know it's, it's compared to something like uh you know deck building and worker placement there's there's that's being mapped out a lot more extensively there's there's still lots and lots of room for for designers to experiment and in, in dice drafting and it, it could even be mixes of and drafting dice and drafting cards you could you could look at uh at uh drafting chits as opposed to dice eve Turingi and i had worked on a game called uh, the great maple syrup heist and this originally was a dice drafting game but we we switched the dice out for two-sided uh like tokens and they came out randomized again and you draft those and you one of the things you could do would be to flip the token over from its good side to its bad, or, you know, from its bad side to its better side, whatever worked out for you. And we did that primarily as uh, to reduce the cost of the game when we were pitching this to some publishers that are, you know, for this weighty game, those dice are going to be kind of expensive. So you you can kind of go back and forth with some of this stuff and drafting chits and dice. Like there's a lot of ways that things could be manipulated between cards and chits and dice. And it within the whole drafting space of things. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I want to talk more about the games that you've designed in a minute. But before we get into those, let's talk through maybe some other really good examples of dice drafting, uh, especially examples of, of games where, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, I'm working on one of these games where I want to, you know, here's the games you really need to play just to get a really good understanding of how this mechanism works. Some of the like best practices so to speak. So what are some of your other favorites or other games that you really hold in, in high regard that use dice drafting as their core mechanism? Uh, well, I really like the uh, the dice drafting in uh, Yispatan. And in dice drafting is just a portion of that game. But what happens is a bunch of dice, uh, I think they're all white dice, get rolled and they get grouped together. So the ones go on the bottom. And I think those just become your camels. And then there's sort of this this track, and the twos go on the, the next layer up. And then the next highest value, it, it maybe it's fours, perhaps aren't any threes, and they'll just go above the twos. And sometimes no sixes, 
you need one through six to be rolled for the, the sixth slot to even be available. So you have sort of these groups, you know, all the, and so each time it changes which groups of dice are available to be, to be drafted. And when you draft, you get all of them. So you could get all of the low dice or, you know, three of the middle dice and it lets you access different parts of the board game. But it's, that's just neat that, you know, when you take a die, you take them all as opposed to normally you just take one at a time. Uh, Grand Oster Hotel does a similar thing. Going, going back real quick. So that's Yes Patan. I had to look this one up. I hadn't heard of this one. And that's Y-E-S-P-I-T-A-N, I believe. So if you're listening to this, you're like, what was that game? Yes Patan. Is, and, and yeah, that's definitely one uh, worth checking out. All right, Grand Oster Hotel, like you were saying. Yeah, Grand Oster also does the uh, the clumping of the, of the dice together. And uh, I guess uh, now that I think about it, I don't remember that much more about that particular one. I don't think I've, I've never actually played it myself. So let's... Uh, Twa. And I always think it's Troy is because I'm, sp- I'm reading it phonetically, but uh, yeah, T R O Y E S. I always said Troye, and, and I yeah. try to make it a little bit French, but Twa, I guess, is the Twa, I believe, is it. the correct name. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's that's like very much it's dice mm-hmm. placement, but you kind of have some dice drafting because you know you roll your dice, but you're not committed to your dice. You can, if you didn't roll the kind of values that you want, but somebody else did. You can buy that die from them, so you kind of, you know, draft it away from them, but you, you know, you get them some currency. So that's kind of an interesting way of how they mitigate. If you end up rolling lots of dice, you're probably not going to be able to use them all, but at least you'll get some money that turn. And if you don't have the dice you want, you know, later on, you'll have that money to uh, to buy someone else's dice, which is kind of clever. Yeah, and that really works with certain themes, you know. And that one, it's kind of like uh, high lords and ladies, and and there's, you know, it's kind of the aristocracy i think of um, a country and you're like building a uh, cathedral or something like that and so like it's interesting that you could kind of buy you pay off basically hire these people and so yeah i think certain themes would really do well with something like that where you're kind of hiring these people away from somebody else i think that's a a really interesting kind of thematic tie-in yeah no that's a good point and uh yeah a lot of roll and rights use use uh die drafting as well like the first one that comes to my mind is uh, Gonchon Clever. You know, a bunch of die gets rolled, and then the first, the player whose active turn it is, gets to take, I believe it's uh, three dice, and then other dice get put aside that the other players can choose from, and then they get access to all the other ones, I think. But you still have sort of a what you're choosing, and then what other people can choose. Isn't isn't uh, Dice Stars do something like that as well? Yeah, dice stars is interesting because uh, you can either take dice that are the same color or dice that are the same number, and then you're gonna you're gonna take those dice and you're gonna mark off on your little you know player sheet, and you're trying to fill in rows and columns, and you get points based on what you do, and then some there's 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 a star on one of the uh, faces of the dice, and so that gives you different points. It's a really really interesting little game, and I feel like rolling rights. I mean, that's dice drafting is is rolling rights. I mean, it's, it's very very intermingled. Right, yeah with so many of these games. Uh, and honestly, I think that's one of the drawbacks. I feel like a lot of rolling rights now feel the same as games that have already been made because they haven't maybe tried to venture out quite as much. And now we're seeing, you know, the draw and write with the, the game. Welcome to, that was an interesting new take on things. Like we're, we're starting to see some really interesting exploration, but 
yeah, rolling rights and dice drafting are, are kind of synonymous in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, if you want to learn how to do a dice drafting game, you can do it very cheaply by going out and finding the, the $10 rolling right games and just kind of seeing how they handle things and how they do the math. I think that's another interesting thing to look at, how the math and the probabilities and things are, are taken into account for those games, because that's that's the whole game. Like, there's not that much complexity to those, typically. And, uh, you know, Gun yeah. Clever is so interesting with the way that the dice can combo, and you can do different things on your player sheet to open up new things and give you these abilities. Like, it's such an interesting thing, and like, okay, how do I, how could I turn that into something bigger or more complex? I think studying the small things really give you insight on how to do something, you know, bigger. Yeah, that is one of the neat things with the, with the dice, because that. The die itself is so simple and it's easy to explain. Oh, well, you just choose one of the dice and usually there aren't, you know, that many, you know, you don't want to overwhelm your, your place with too much choice, but you know, if you're looking at, you know, five to seven dice or something, then you're choosing one of those. And then the ramifications of that choice based on, you know, if it's just your player, your own player sheet in a, in a rolling weight. But, in, you know, it's in like Dinosaur Island. You, you've got like a whole game board that, you know, that it, it can affect. And so there's, it's neat that the simplicity of what you do is so simple, but the ramifications of that, of that action, you know, it, it can be the sky's the limit. Right. And this actually makes me think of going back to the whole, why, why, why are D6s always used versus others? Maybe bigger dice also give you potentially too many options and it creates too much analysis paralysis. If you've got 10 options out there and, you know, let's say one through 10, all get rolled on one turn. And so now I have 10 actions that I could do. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. And, and it might take longer for players to kind of figure out what they want to do, which slows the game down. It's not nearly as fun. I think that's also maybe something else to think about when you have dice numbers or, or something like that also counting as as actions is okay how many do you have you know making making sure you don't have so many that it just bogs the game down to a crawl yeah yeah that's that's a good point you know you you never want too much choice i personally kind of like when i have two things you know there could be other choices um available but you know they're mostly just false choices but there are two that are that i'm really kind of thinking about maybe occasionally three but it's like which one of these two things that i both want is the one that I actually want is sort of where I like to have the sort of the decision space to be. Yeah. And doing that with a few dice range of one to six works out fairly well frequently, I think. Yeah. That's a really, really good way to design games. Uh, the last one I want to talk about is Castles of Burgundy. Tell me about that one. Cause that one's a little bit more interesting. I think it also won the spiel as like best game of the year, if I remember right. So surely it's doing something correctly. So tell me about that one. You know, actually it's been ages since I've looked at it. I was I was actually going to ask you if you remembered how much you remembered of Castles of Burgundy. Do you remember much? <laughs> well, I re well, it's been a long time for me as well, but I remember uh, the dice also are related to, you have a player board, uh, and, and so different dice can, can affect that in different ways. I know it's about resources. I think that's another interesting thing that you can have dice related to, you know, taking wood or taking stone or things like that. If I remember right, it, it, it does something like that. Yeah, that, that's right. It does have, I think it is for different resources on them and... Yeah, and you have that different areas on your board where you draft the dice, what thing it's going to give you. So you sort of a, almost like a set collection, except on a physical kind of looks like area control that way. So there's your own board, so you're not really controlling against it. But yeah, that's probably the most common, one of the the, the best selling of the, uh, the dice drafting games. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your games. So you got Yukon Airways and you got Cupcake Empire both of which are dice drafting games. So let's start off with UConn. 
Uh, tell me about that one. Tell me kind of how you decided on dice drafting as one of the main mechanisms of the game and then like anything that you, you learned or anything you had to change as the game developed. Yeah, usually I start with a mechanic first, but uh, in Yukon Air's case, uh, because it was uh, it was my father's company, so it was, it was a theme that I knew about in, a, in the setting of Yukon, which I thought would be interesting. Like I had it in my mind for some time to do a game on that. But I'd also been working on sort of these dice drafting games where in that the dice often pool together, like all the ones being together. I think when you hit you, when you draft dice, you draft all the ones, or, you know, so as opposed to a one at a time. And then it, it was just a while before someone said, well, why don't you connect the two together? And so it was, it was quite tricky to sort of mesh them. At first, it didn't, it didn't work out as well. But it was once realizing that the dice were passengers and that I could take the passengers to locations that the design really kind of started to work. So when you went to the dock one to get whatever dice are there, you don't take all of them. You could just take as many dice as you want. So if you want to draft one die, you can take one die. If you want to draft three dice, then you could take three dice. If there were only two dice there, then you can pay to move dice from different docks. So if there was a, it would only cost you one coin to move a two to the one spot. You sort of advertising, luring the, the passenger over, said, oh, come on my plane line. And then you could take those dice. So you would often set off with that, with, with that dice from diff, with different numbers on them on your, on your plane. And the amount of uh, dice you take affects how much fuel you have. So if you only take one passenger, then you have a light plane. So you can fly much farther. If you take four passengers, then your plane's really heavy. So you can't fly as as far with a with a heavy plane. So although you can take as many dice as you want, you generally don't actually want to take all the dice that you can. So you you you're you're self mitigating, and uh, that that just really worked well with that particular game. Yeah, and tell me about how the colors and the the numbers on the dice how they affect the gameplay as well. The numbers on the dice only tell you where the dice are going to be pooled together, and the different the different docks where the passengers accumulate have different advantages to them. So the one doesn't have any advantage at all, but the six has a really good strong advantage, and then the various levels in between. So it's just it's a very random where the dice are going to go. When you've taken the dice away, you know, the, the dice that don't get drafted stay on the board for the next turn. So if nobody's taking the dice for number two uh, dock, then it, it'll just keep accumulating. Other dice get rolled and, and then eventually someone's going to go there because that's where all the best dice are. And the color relates to uh, the type of passenger that it is. And on the map, there's a bunch of cubes at all the locations that match up to the color of the dice. So what you want to do is take a particular colored die of any value to a particular location. Where, and when you do that, you can upgrade your plane. And that's how you're, you know, you're getting also ports and all sorts of really cool engine building stuff is, uh, is, is sort of triggering from that puzzle of getting specific dice to specific spots on the board very cool all right tell me about cupcake empire in this game each player has their own player board with a bunch of dice on it 
and the dice are your workers. You're, you're a company that makes cupcakes and you're selling them to customers. But your player board is made up of, uh, of five different actions. So all the ones accumulate on your own player board and they're the ones who are going to make the, uh, the bottom of the cupcake for you. And the number two is where they're going to make the icing for the cupcake. And, uh, and so on. You've got different actions that are, are marketing and, and building uh, outlets. So when you take an action, the number of dice in that action tells you how strong an action you're going to make. So for example, if you've got more dice in the icing column, you can make better icing. You can make one of that when you've got lots in there, you can make the fancy icing that has two different flavors on it. But once you've done that action, you roll all those dice and they get distributed, just whatever they come up into different areas. So then the next turn, that action is going to be quite weak because, you know, it's quite possible that no, none of the dice went back to that about, back to that, where they've gone to other places and an action that you haven't taken a while gets stronger and stronger as dice just sort of accumulate there on their own until you take that action. So you're, but it, one way it's different than than you know, a lot of other dice drafting games is that you have your own set. Nobody can mess with your dice. You're just trying to do the best you can with choose with drafting, you know, all the all the dice of a particular value and then redistribute them, redistributing them across your board. Gotcha. And I think that's one of the things I really find fascinating about dice drafting is that it is such a flexible mechanism. You can do a lot of things with it just by changing small things, you can have a totally different game experience. And so tell me, give me, give me some more. Let, let's talk a little bit more maybe about your design process and kind of how you figure out, you know, what to change, how you're going to do mitigations, how you're going to, you know, determine colors and like, give me, give me like a, an inside look at what you're thinking about as you're developing one of these games and, and just trying to tweak the levers, you know, you're, you're, you're turning dials, tweaking levers, making things change a little bit here and there you know, to create that different experience, kind of give me the, the behind the scenes look. Well, that, that's a fairly difficult question. I'm not, I'm not even sure if I know how my mind works. <laughs> but one thing I start off with is is just assuming that I'm using a regular D6 because that's just a really easy place to start off with. And I've got lots of them around, so it's it's quick to go into play testing. I mean, there have been times where I've deviated from that and wanted and, uh, you know, and, and uh, at one game, Algonquin Park Photo Rally that I'm also doing with Eve Turingi, we started with 1d6, but needed to switch it from the one was too low a value. So we turned that into a wild and had two to five plus a wild symbol on it. But that, that came quite a ways after the, quite a ways through. Perhaps you could be a bit more specific. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. So maybe there's some uh, specific examples of, you know, in Yukon Airways or Cupcake Empire where you were playtesting it or you're going through the development process and you're like, hmm, let me, let me adjust this. Let me change this. Let me add an extra color for Yukon Airways to have an extra passenger or something like that that kind of just messing with and tweaking the dice drafting and the way the dice played in the game to create maybe a, a more complex experience or maybe a simpler one or just, you know, messing with stuff. Basically, I'm trying to help out anybody who's designing one of these and they're trying to think through, okay, what all can I change? What all can I tweak to make the game more interesting or simpler or different? I guess that's what I'm what I'm getting at. What are the things that are on your mind or notes that you take 
as far as like, how can I adjust some things? The game is not, the game is not fun right now. What can I change about it to give it more interesting choices to make it more tense or something like that, make it more fun. Right. Okay. I think one of the things you need to think about when you're designing a dice drafting game is how not to make the choice too obvious. You know, if high values are always better, then that's just not interesting. You know, there's a bunch of fours have been threes, twos, and fours have been rolled, and one six. You don't want a player to say, oh, I'm going to grab the six. It's not a decision. There has to be a reason why you wouldn't want the six as well. So uh, you can definitely see that in, in Pulsar 2849, because it can give you a negative sort of thing. In, in something like Sagrada, it's mitigated out because you need to, you can't place two numbers that are the same beside each other. And so the number, the values don't actually have any inherent sort of wrong value to them. It's just relative compared to what other dice that you've taken and what dice are showing sometimes in, in that selection. So I think that's the main thing is that you're not making an obvious choice. And the other thing you really need to look into is if the dice that get rolled that come out that people are drafting aren't ideal, how can players deal with that situation? And you want to do this through uh, through dice mitigation, of which you know the, the easiest tend to be add one or subtract one. And you know dice are very good at recording that, or flipping a die over. And uh, a lot of players will know that you know if you've got a two on one side, you've got a five on the other side, a six and a one, the four and the three are opposite to each other. And, and just a, a straight re-roll is another really sort of easy to grok way to manipulate the dice. So you need to have those available to the players. I mean, you could have, if you want a bit more granularity, you can have one thing that's, you know, to add one to a die, it costs this. Because if, if it's a situation where dire, higher dice are always better, whereas being able to lower a dice might be cheaper. There may be situations where you want multiple dice of the of the same value to be you know an important feature of your game so you want to be able to go up and down in, in both ways yeah i think those are amazing points and definitely the things that a designer needs to be thinking about when they're trying to make a good game based on on this mechanism now as far as let's switch gears just a little bit as far as uh, the difference between basic d6s you know with the pips and one through six versus using custom dice what should a designer think about? I think you know a lot of people want to use custom dice because they're cool and you can you know do lots of things with them, but they're also more expensive manufacturer. Yeah. There's things to think about. So tell me maybe from your perspective as a designer, what someone should be thinking about to to know when when it's a good time to use the custom dice versus just the the regular old D6. Well, I really like the regular old D6 because it gives you more mitigation choices, like the plus one, minus one. Is, is harder to do if you have printed dice. You wouldn't know, you know, you you could, I guess, say flip it to one side over, but then you'd also have to really know that die well to know what kind of manipulation the result is going to be. And the same with the flip a die completely over. Reroll obviously works just as well. But uh, I mean, in certain cases, like the uh, Dinosaur Island, like I, I don't know that would be doable at all with just regular one to six, like, the printed and the specific special dice, it just absolutely fits that game to a T. Uh, and uh, Seasons is the same way, but they're both much, uh, uh, they're both in the, the heavy realm 
of, of dice placement games. So that might be what, you know, sort of a, a rule of thumb to look at is if you're doing a simple game, then simple dice is probably the, the best way to start. And if you're doing something heavy and complex, then then really bringing in custom dice is uh, is probably just going to fit that design more. I'm, I'm sure there's more work to develop when you've got a specialized die than just the, the 1d6. There's certainly the 1d6 is nice and easy to change. You know, you can change your own rules. Well, you know, a 1 equals this, even if you didn't want it to be just values. A 1 could equal this, a 6 could equal that, a 5 could, you could write it down a little sheet and then change it as you go along and then just, uh, you know, form them into custom things later on, perhaps. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. All right, anything else? Anything we've left out? Any other main points that you want to uh, make sure we cover in this episode? No, I, I think we've, we've done a pretty good job of it. Thanks. Awesome. In that case, closing thoughts. Uh, what would you what would you tell somebody who right now, maybe they're listening to this, maybe they're designing one of these games, maybe they want to, maybe they got an idea from something we've been talking about and they're thinking, oh man, I could design a, a game with that mechanism. What would you tell them? What, 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 what advice would you give them? I'd say uh, really give uh, dice drafting some serious thought if you're just, you know, sort of wide open at looking at, at, at what kind of main mechanism to use. Just because it is you know, it, it's not overdone yet. I think there's lots of room for really interesting designs to come out that are sort of new and fresh. And uh, it probably doesn't hurt that dice drafting is apparently one of Rado's favorite game mechanism. So if you want him to like your game, then having a bit of that in probably isn't going to hurt any either. Awesome. Well, hey, Al, you got the uh, second print run of Cupcake Empire first First print run sold out. Congrats on that. That's not something uh, everyone can say. I know there's a lot of people out there that have a bunch of games sitting in their garage or sitting in a warehouse collecting dust. And so for a game to get a second print run is no small feat. And so tell people about that and uh, when and where they can find it. Well, I believe the uh, that print run will be coming out in mid-August. And uh, it should get fairly good distribution. It's it's going through Asmodee's you know, sort of a distribution network. Well, very cool. So hopefully uh, people heard about it here and uh, they'll go check it out and, and you'll sell out the second print run, have to do a third. That's uh, that's always a good, good problem to have. Anyway, Al, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, good luck with more games. I know you're working on a ton of games right now. So good luck getting those finished and, and published and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Yeah. And I'll just say that you got hours. It should also be getting its first North American distribution in mid-August as well. Oh, awesome. Congrats on that. That's, yeah, that's really cool. That's one uh, that I, I definitely recommend people people check out. It looks amazing. I know it's got a lot of um, personal ties to you because, like you said, your dad owned this company and you kind of took that idea and turned it into a game, which is such a cool thing. And it's got so many interesting uh, things about it just as, as, as far as gameplay. So yeah, definitely check that out if you're listening to this. Uh, coming soon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, people seem to be really liking the... Uh, sort of the player board on it with all the little little dials. It looks like a, an airplane dashboard. And so it's got all these little dials and little switches that you turn on. And yeah, it seems to be, uh, you know, sort of the visual look of it is, is very appealing to a lot of people. Very cool. Well, again, Al, really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, have a good one. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing.
keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?